Father, uh, we do pray that today as we get into your word that, Lord, you would just speak to our hearts. Thank you, God, for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. Thank you for giving men to us who would write down these scriptures that we can read them. And God, we can commit them to our hearts and they can change us. And, and I do pray today as we, as we go over this section of scripture that it wouldn't just be reading words, it wouldn't just be uh, uh, looking at stuff, but God, we would understand this is your heart being poured out. And we would allow it, God, to penetrate deep within us to change us and, and Lord, for some of us to heal that hurt and, and, and to take us closer to you. So God, I do pray <clears throat> that you would just bless this time, that Holy Spirit, you would work in every heart in here. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hey, as we begin today, John kind of finished up the last section we were looking at where he was talking about forgiveness of sin. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just uh, to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then in verse seven, he also talked about, listen, if we walk in the light, he says, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. I think what happened is he got a little bit worried that that might be uh, uh, taken in the wrong direction. Somebody might misapply that. And, and I get that, right? Do you ever say something and you think, man, they're just not getting what I'm saying. They're, they're taking it wrong or they're taking it to a place I didn't mean. And I think John's kind of thinking that way. And here's what I think some people might take away from that. Well, then it's perfectly fine to sin. I can sin if I'm gonna be forgiven. Doesn't matter. And that's not the heart of God. And that's obviously not the heart of John and not what he wanted to write. So he kind of here in, in, in chapter two, he, and, and especially the first two verses, he kind of backs up and lets us deal with the fact that sin is ugly. Sin is sin. I like to say it that way. Sin is sin and it's ugly. And we should never, listen, we should never think that sin is okay and it really doesn't matter to God. So John, again, wanting to address that, he begins here in verse one of chapter two, and he says, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. So there it is, right? I wrote those things, and those are true. God does forgive us, and the blood of Jesus does cleanse us, but that doesn't mean we just go out and flippantly sin and do whatever. And so he says, listen, I write these things to you that you may not sin. Now, I do like the idea that he says, my little children. That kind of makes you feel good, right? Makes you kind of feel like a family thing. Listen, he's not addressing us as, you know, as, as uh, uh, people, I'm just gonna address you and tell you what to do. It's like, hey, we're family. And, you know, John, I, John, I think he's like in his 90s. Someone last night wanted to argue with me, you know, and, and I love you guys. But I love it when someone comes up and he goes, John was 17 when he started walking with Jesus. I go, where on earth did you come up with that? You know, we don't know how old he was. And I'm thinking they were older and, and well, we won't get into that whole thing. But I think, I think now he's probably in his 90s. And he's old. Hey, when you hit 90, you're old. You're officially old. I told my dad that. When he hit 90, I said, Dad, you're old. You're officially old. And then he had an accident and a doctor asked him how old he was. It was when he was 92. He goes, I'm 92 and a half. <laughs> and, 
You know, it's like kids do that, right? He says, I'm 92 and a half, and the doctor goes, wow, that's kind of strange. He goes, listen, once you pass 90, every month counts, <laughs> right? Right? So, so listen, man, I think John's old, and so he can call us his little children, right? A term of endearment. He's loving on us, and, and listen, it's not later on he's going to write about little children in a different sense. He uses a different word. So this is a word where he really is loving on us, and here's what he says. I'm writing you this so that you may not sin. And then he says this in the middle of verse 2, and if anyone sins, or he might say, since we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's good news. And he says, listen, if you sin, we have this advocate. And now, normally when we think of, you know, that term advocate, some of us think about hostility and, and you know, some kind of litigation that gets ugly and nasty. And it's not, listen, it's not that sense we have an advocate, not with the judge, did you notice that? But who's it with? The Father. We have an advocate with the Father. And whether we like it or not, we need that advocate because we sin. And we have that advocate. And then listen to what he says. Our advocate is Jesus Christ. I think most of us get that. But did you notice he said, the righteous? Listen, Jesus is not going to be our advocate where he's going to go to the Father and make excuses for us. Well, you know, they really didn't mean it. Or, you know, or, or you know, well, it's the environment. It's the way they were raised or whatever. You know, all, all the lame excuses we use now. Jesus isn't going to do that. As a matter of fact, we have an accuser, right? We have an accuser of the brother, Satan. And Satan is going, man, they're dirty dogs. Look at what they're doing. And, and you know, they did this sin. And Jesus is going to go, oh, they absolutely did that sin. He's not going to deny the sin because the sin's a reality. He's not going to make excuses, but here's what he's going to say. But I paid for it. Amen. I took care of that sin. That's our advocacy that we have, and we need to understand that. And he paid the price for us. So listen, we have that one who's on our side. That should make us feel really good because we do need to understand our sin deserves the eternal wrath of God. That's what the Bible says. The wages of sin... The Bible says it's death. But death, listen, death isn't just ceasing to exist. Death is separation from God. And that's what we deserve for eternity. And Jesus paid that price. So he goes to the Father and he tells the Father, yeah, they sinned and it was ugly. But I took care of it. It's done. He might even say this, and they're mine. I like the idea. I think Jesus claims this, right? Hey, they belong to me. They're mine. You know, it's kind of like sometimes your parents have to claim you. And they're kind of like, oh. Well, Jesus never looks at us and goes, oh, no. He says, I paid the price. They're mine, right? They're mine. And then, listen, and then it gets a little bit deeper. This next part goes a little bit further. Not only is he the advocate with the Father, and verse two, he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Man, listen to what he's saying. That, that is good news. Now, here's what bothers me. If you have a newer translation, it kind of doesn't want to use that word propitiation. That's a big word, I know, and it's a big theological term, but they don't want to use that because it has some negative connotations. 
Kind of when you think about that, you can think of some pagan deities where they like go off the rails and you have to, you know, you have to go do certain things to appease them and, and satisfy and, and, and whatever's going on. And so people don't want to use that term. But I think it's a term we have to come to grips with. Because I think we need to understand, because listen carefully, Jesus did pay a price for our sin. And he did appease the wrath of God for our sin. God cannot just look at sin and say it's okay. He can't do that. If he did that, he wouldn't be righteous and just. And the whole thing, and listen, the whole thing in Romans that Paul brings up is how can he be just and at the same time be the justifier by the blood of Jesus Christ? So propitiation is important. And I think, listen, I think propitiation takes it a little bit further than atonement. I understand Jesus is our atonement. But basically atonement can kind of be taken this way. And some of your translations might say he's the covering for our sin. He's not the covering for our sin. He's the cleanser of our sin. So I, I, I use this illustration. Here's an illustration. It's kind of like you go out to a nicer place for dinner. You know, a place where the menu's not up on the wall behind the counter. One of those places. And you go and, and they have a nice tablecloth and everything's nice. You want to have a really nice evening. And the waiter comes and <laughs> dumps coffee right on, the, right on the white tablecloth. And so some waiters will come and go, with a, with a napkin and put it over it and say, there, it's covered. And what do you do? You look under there. It's still there, right? It's still there. And that's a problem, listen, with just saying atonement. It's still there. The sin is there. It's just covered over. Propitiation is this. The waiter comes over, spills the coffee, grabs the tablecloth, jerks it. Everything stays on the table. Jerks it out from under there, takes it, washes it, bleaches it, brings it back, spreads it out, and there's no more stain. That's propitiation. That's what Jesus did for us. Amen. Listen, he did that. He paid the price. So don't get uptight about it. Listen, and don't take it to some pagan stuff. Understand, sin deserves God's wrath. And the only way that wrath can be turned is someone paying the price. And Jesus took that wrath upon himself. A dark, dark day, right, in history, it says there was darkness. Why? Because the son was separated from the father. Now let's think about that for a moment. And let's think about this. Every time you confess your sin, Jesus, this is, this is just putting it in human terms. Jesus has to tell the father, I paid the price, remember? Remember that time when we were separated? Remember how ugly that was? I took care of it. Are you kind of with me? Shouldn't that make us want to sin less? Amen. Listen, I don't want the father and the son to have to relive that continually on my behalf. So he says, listen, he's a propitiation for our sin. Now, this is a bedrock. Listen, I think what he's saying here in verse two is the complete bedrock of all of salvation. I think it's the core of what we believe and the core of our salvation. I wrote down a couple of scriptures you can look up later on and kind of get a handle on, on this idea that he's talking about. Listen, it's not just an isolated place in the Bible. So he's a propitiation for our sins. But then he says this. He says, listen, he's a propitiation for our sins. And then he says, not for ours only, but also for the whole world. There is a whole 
camp of people within Christianity that don't like the last part of this verse. The Calvinist reformed people, they don't like this because they believe that God only and the blood of Jesus is only for the elect, not for the whole world. And it always kind of fascinates me because if there's any verse in the Bible that discredits that theology, it's this verse right here. Because number one, who's John writing to? He's not writing to a specific ethnic group. He's not writing to a closed group. Who's he writing to? Probably the church at Ephesus, which by now, and we remember we're to the, almost, almost to the turn of the century, the turn of the first century. The church has been around a while. Actually, they're blowing it a little bit. They got second and third generation Christians. But listen, it's not just Jews who believe. And it's not just Gentiles who believe, it's a mixture, and I think he has a little bit of everybody. But he says, not only for our sin, who is the R? It's everybody, right? It's believers. He's talking to believers. And he says, not only it would be like me today, saying, it's for us. Listen, we're believers. But then he says, but the sins of the whole world, who else? Who's in the whole world? The rest of everybody else. And now people who do not like that doctrine, people who believe in limited atonement, and I was even reading one this week, I was a little shocked at somebody that I read a lot that used to be on the other side, now they've changed and they're into limited atonement. Here's what they say. Well, the whole world here doesn't mean the whole world. That always bugs me when someone does that. Like, I can read. Don't tell me it doesn't mean the whole world. And then they say this, well, what he really means is all races and ethnicities. I, I don't think so in this context. I think you're really, you know, you're kind of stretching things to make your theology fit. And listen carefully. If your theology doesn't fit Scripture, change your theology. I have a friend I went to Bible school with, a, a, a guy, and, and we were close. I haven't, now, well, we're not close anymore, but we were close for a while. And, and I always called him Mikey. His name was Mike, and, and I called him Mikey. And, and I was out in California visiting him, and we're driving down one of the freeways. We're like, and we're having a discussion. And, and it's always fun to discuss theology. And he'd kind of he'd gone down the Calvinistic or Reformed road. And, and I said, but Mikey, I go, what about 1 John 2, 2? I go, what does that say? And he goes, well, I really need to read what John Owen, if you, and if you don't know, John Owen's one of the premier old dead guys of, of that theology, a brilliant man. He's good to read. But he says, I got to see what John Owen says. I said, I don't care what John Owen says. What does 1 John 2, 2 say? Just tell me what it says. Well, I want, I said, just tell me what it says. Come on. Tell me what that verse says. And he got so aggravated. At one point, he wanted to push me out of the car. I go, dude, we're going down a freeway. I got my seatbelt on. You're not going to do that. And he goes, man, you just make me so mad. And I go, I can tell you're a little aggravated. But tell me what 1 John 2, 2 says. And he got so angry. Here's what he said. You're, you're just a biblicist. I went, thank you. Thank you. That's a good thing to call me. Listen. It says what it says, and, and I think we need to understand that. Jesus was not limiting what he was doing for just a few. My Bible says he died for the sins of the world. And so we need to understand. So, but we still need to get back. So not only is he our advocate, but he's also in that position of advocating for us 
He's the one who paid the price. I paid the price. He's got the first-hand knowledge. Now, that's good news, right? I mean, you think about that. He's going to bat for you and I, and he's doing it. Now, listen, as John continues, it's kind of bad because there's a big break here in my Bible, but, you know, we continue on. So he's our advocate, and then he says this, verse 3, now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Now listen to what he's saying because he says, he's not saying we know about him or we've learned about him or we've heard about him or we've read about him. What does he say? We know that we know him. An intimate knowledge, a relationship. John uses this word know, which is gnosko. He uses it over 23 times in this letter. That's kind of interesting because he's coming against the Gnostics and the Gnostics are the people who had this secret knowledge. We've talked about them. They had the secret knowledge. They had the decoder ring. They were super spiritual people. And they, they had all this stuff. And he's coming against them. And he constantly throws that word at them. I think kind of as a gig, like boom, boom, boom. And here's what he says. We can know that we know him. If you're a Bible marker, I would mark that. You can know that you know him. You don't have to guess that you know him. You can know that you know him. How can I know that I know him? Well, because I'm doing what he says. You see, when you really know somebody, you listen to them. When you listen to them, you want to do things for them. And you want to do things that would please them. It's kind of like, I liken it to marriage. And I've shared, Gaynell and I have been married for a while now. If, you, if you've been around you know, a long while. And I'm getting to know her. And I'm getting to know her better and better. And the things that I know that displease her, I'm not gonna do those things. Why? Because I know it would displease her. I know it would, it would bother her. Now, I, I need to back that up a little bit. I won't intentionally do those things. <laughs> Right? I'm not going to do those things on purpose. And I don't want to do those things. And the things that I know that bless her, I want to do those things. Because why? Because I know her and I love her. Can we take that same attitude with the Lord? He's not talking about following rules and following lists and doing all that. Here's what he's saying. You would... You do his commands. Now, when he's talking about commands, listen carefully. He's not talking about the 613 commands in the Old Testament. He's not even talking about the top 10. He's not even talking about the top two. What he's talking about is what Jesus taught and gave them. Those are the things we know that we know him. Why? Because we're going to do those things. We're going to follow those things. Why? Because we love him. And we care about them. not perfectly, just like in any relationship. I would love to tell you that I'm perfect in my relationship, but then my wife would come up here and tell you something different. But listen, I want to be, and the same with the Lord, I want to do that. So how do I know that I know him? Number one, I understand what pleases him, the commands, let's call them. I understand that pleases him, then I want to do that. How do I find out what pleases him? By getting to know him. How do I get to know him? In his word. And I find out. So he says, listen, this is what we do. And, and then verse four, he says, he who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. You know, this John, this apostle of love, 
He's a pretty straight shooter, isn't he? This is the third time he called people a bunch of liars. He doesn't give people a break. And here's what he says. You can't say one thing and live entirely different. You can't do that. If you're doing that, you're a liar. I call them posers. You know, we have posers in church. You have posers in everything, right? The posers that bug me the most are these young people that want to act like they're all, you know, thugged out, and they act all thuggy, and they act like they could do stuff, and, you know, a real gang member shows up, they wet their pants, you know, because they, they, they can't handle it. And I'm thinking, quit being a poser. Knock it off. You're just posing. And the same, some Christians just do that. They say one thing, but they live a different way. Here's what John says. You're a liar. That's intense, right? Like, I very rarely to somebody say, you're a liar. I just think those are like pretty harsh words. And then he goes a little bit further and he says, the truth is not in you. Now, I don't think he's talking about all truth. I think he's talking about the truth of the word of God. You're proving that you don't have the word of God in you because you're not doing what he says. And you don't have a clue and you're walking that way. I don't think, listen, I think, I think it's horrible when you and I, as believers, don't live like believers and we go out in the world and the world saying, you're no different than the world. Shouldn't be. I remember it was after I got saved, but before I got saved, I, it was 1980, I remember the year because of the coaster races in Bisbee. So, if you're from Bisbee, one thing you know, if you're in the world, and I was in the world, one thing you know in the world in Bisbee is to celebrate the 4th of July, you have to start around the 1st. And then you celebrate hard, and then by the time the 4th comes, you're ready. And I remember going to the coaster races that morning, it was the last time men ran in the coaster races, and I remember we were all there pharmaceutically enhanced, watching the coaster races. And there was a guy there, and you know, he only had one arm, so those people you don't forget, right? He only had one arm, and we're partying, and we're watching the coaster race, and we're doing things. Then I got saved in 1983. And I think it was late 83, maybe 84, that was pretty early on when I got saved. I went to a prayer meeting, and then after the prayer meeting, we're all talking, and a lot of the people at the prayer meeting said, what are you doing here? I said, I got saved. That's what I'm doing here, right? And it was hard for them to cross that line and imagine that. But that guy was there, and he came and introduced himself to me. And I said, yeah, I met you before you were a Christian. You know, it's nice that you're saved. He goes, I've been a Christian for 10 years. Oh, maybe you've been a poser, huh? Because here's what I told him. You were not acting like a Christian in 1980, July 4th. <laughs> right? We shouldn't do that. We shouldn't drag the Lord's name down. So here's, here's what John says. If you're, saying, if you're saying that, walk it. If you're not going to walk it, don't say it. You're a liar. So he brings that out, and I think that's extremely important. But listen, man, we can know him. Hosea says this. Let me, let me read how Hosea told his generation. Hosea said it this way. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. 
There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land, and there is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery, and they break all bonds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. Man, that sounds really gross. It kind of sounds like the world today. But here's what he's saying. You claim to be Israel, but you're living this way. Don't do that. You're a liar. So live up to what you're claiming. Now, listen, John goes a little bit further. In verse 5, he says this. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. Oh, there's that word we know again. How can I know that I'm in Christ? Because why? Because I keep his word. We're not even talking about commandments here. We're talking about his word. And again, liking it to marriage. Gaynell very rarely brings out our marriage license and said, you sign this, dude. Now here's what you have to do. She doesn't do that too often. But you know what? Gaynell will say things, and I want to do those things because I know her, and I love her. And the same with the Lord. He doesn't have to give me, he didn't have to say, Pat, you need to do this. He just lays things out. I want to do that. Why? Because I love him. And I know him. And have you noticed when here he says, he says, listen, whoever uh, keeps his word truly, the love of God is perfected in him. He's not talking about perfection, sinless perfection. He's talking about his maturing. Have you noticed that you're seeing sin in your life that you didn't see before? Like three years ago, you did that same sin and you just didn't even know it. You're just like oblivious to it. But now as you grow in the Lord, as you mature, as you become perfect in the Lord, that perfection, as you begin to grow, what happens? You look at that sin, you go, man, that is horrible. Paul at the end of his life, what did Paul write at the end of his life? 2 Timothy. He says, I am, I am, not I was, I am the chief of all sinners. Do you think Paul was like a, a hideous sinner? I don't think so. I'm thinking especially at the end of his life. I think he probably had some good controls going on. But in his life, he could still see how ugly sin was and that he was still sinning and he was seeing sins that he didn't even, was not even aware of five years ago. So the same with us. Listen, we grow and I don't want to do those things. I look at my life and there are things that I'm in my life saying, I don't want to even get close to that because I do not want to bring the Lord's name down. I love him. And his word, all he has to do is speak his word. Are you getting the idea that this is not a legalist thing? Oh, let's go. He's, and, and he says, listen. Then he says, because, because we're in him, right? He says, by this we know that we're in him. John 14. It's interesting that John has a lot of stuff that came out of the book of John that Jesus spoke. Listen to this, Jesus in John 14. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Iscariot, said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching." And my father will love him, and we will come and make our home with him. That's good news. And that's what John is talking about. We hear it, we walk in it, and we have that 
closer relationship with the Lord. So first we know him. Now we're in him. Oh, let's go one step further in verse 6. He says, and he who, he who says he abides in him ought himself to walk just as Jesus walked. So now we go a little bit further. We go from knowing to being in him to now we abide in him. That's even a close. And here's what he's saying. As you abide in Christ, you're going to become more Christ-like in your actions. Think about that. Just hang out close to Jesus. Bottom line, here's what he's saying. Hang out close to Jesus and he's gonna change. He's gonna change you from the inside out. Once again, it's not regulations, it's relationship. And it's all about relationship and us abiding in him and us spending that time getting close. Once again, in John 15, listen to this. Listen to how many times abide is used in this passage. A lot of us know about the vine and the, and, and the branches, right? Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever what you desire and it shall be done for you. Oh, this abiding is really believing Jesus and hanging out with him and, let, and allowing him, listen carefully, to change you from the inside out. Once again, it's not regular. It's being changed by the Spirit of God working in you as you hang out with Jesus. That's what Christianity is all about. Sad to say, we kind of get in this mode where I want rules. I want boundaries. I want all this stuff set up. And here's what Jesus says, why don't you walk by faith? I don't want to walk by faith. If I walk by faith, it means I have to trust you. Why don't you trust me? Well, because I'd rather have a set of rules. And he's saying, just abide in me. Just hang out with me. Here's what I know. If I'm reading my Bible and praying, that's hanging out with Jesus, right? And I'm fellowshipping with the saints, with all you guys. Here's what I know. My life begins to change. When I'm not reading my Bible and I'm not praying and I'm not hanging out with the saints, my life starts changing. One for the good, one for the bad. I want to change for the good. I want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, let's kind of go back now. If I'm abiding in him and trusting in him, he's going to change how I walk, the things I say, not just physically walk, and I think you understand your, your lifestyle. He's going to change that but when I sin, I have an advocate. And I have the advocate that paid the price. And I need to never, ever, ever, ever forget that Jesus Christ suffered the wrath of God so that I can have eternal life. Listen, he just didn't turn it away. He took it. And he took it upon himself. Because he loves me. 
Not because I'm a good guy, but because he loves me. That's the good news. And so when I believe that, then I want to know him more. I want to hang out with him. I want to abide in him. And I start growing. And then I sin. And I have to go back and I do it. And then I start abiding in him and start growing. And eventually, eventually, listen, eventually I get really close to him. And then I die. And I get a glorified body. Hallelujah. That's the good news. But listen, saints, don't wait till you get to heaven to enjoy your relationship. Do it now. That's what John is saying. And we can know God. It is possible. Why do I say that? Because my Bible says it. And I can know that I know him by my own heart. Let's stand up and pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you, God, for your grace in our lives. And thank you. Thank you for the reality that we can look at here. And it's not something, Lord, that is just kind of like a pie in the sky thing. And there is a serious, serious aspect of our salvation that I think sometimes we lose sight of. And that's what it costs you for us to be saved. And I pray just by this one verse, 1 John 2, 2, it's easy to remember that because of that verse, it makes our salvation so precious and so dear that we could never, ever lose sight of it. Thank you, God, for leaving heaven and coming and dying for our sin. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for just a couple more moments. And if you are here today and you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins, maybe you're here and you're a poser. Maybe you've been a poser for like 10 years. And the Lord just spoke to your heart. And now today you know something for sure. You know that you need your sin forgiven. If I'm talking to you, then right now, Right now, call on his name. Maybe you're visiting and someone asked you to church and God got a hold of your heart. And say this prayer. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. Say this prayer with us. And call, it's called calling on his name. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. You're gonna talk about the fact that you know you're a sinner because you have to come to that place. And then you're gonna recognize that Jesus Christ died for your sin. We already talked about that. He paid the penalty that you owed. So all you have to do is put your trust in that. Tell God that you believe in that and you will be saved. So if I'm talking to you this morning, hey, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer and some people say, well, are you gonna put words in my mouth? Kinda, I'm gonna just help you, help you uh, uh, verbalize what's going on in your heart. And we're gonna say this prayer together. You can say it out loud, you can say it silently. If you're backslidden this morning, or I like to say it this way, then it's time to front slide. So just come back, come home to Jesus. Come, come and have that relationship and that forgiveness and that washing of, from his blood. If you're watching online, you can say the prayer right where you're at. You don't have to be in this building to say this prayer. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry 
that I sinned against you. And right now I realize I need forgiveness. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And now I'm asking you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. Today, I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior.